0: what's up guys welcome in to deep dive fantasy football this is the last episode to wrap up running back week releasing on a friday i just want to say thanks for listening to the first two obviously we have gone over running backs 1 through 24 now instead of hitting up running backs 25 to 36 i decided to skip that section why well i feel like a lot of people are covering that stuff so I decided to get a little bit different. I'm basically gonna go over my six super late sleepers, but I call them my fly guys. Why do I call them that? Well, because I think once the season starts, they're gonna take off, they're gonna soar, and they're gonna fly up weekly rankings. They're gonna become guys that everyone is implementing into their lineups once the fantasy season starts, but as of right now, they are all super late just on a ground level with all of the running backs in the back of drafts. So I'm talking about running backs outside the top 36, and I have six for you. We're gonna start it off with Tariq Cohen. Tariq Cohen right now is RB 40 off the board. That is ridiculous. RB 40. Here are his career PP- PPR finishes: 30, rookie year, RB 30, then RB 11 then RB 27. All of those are way above ADP. His worst finish was his rookie year and that was 10 spots higher than where he's being drafted now. Last year, we saw atrocious atrocious efficiency levels. Trust me, those are going to get better. Even if Foles doesn't win the job, and Drabisky is the guy there, it's still not going to be as bad as it was last year. Trust me, it's going to get better. He was averaging career lows and so many times he was getting receptions four yards behind the line of scrimmage. Mitch Trubisky just trying to get bailed out from a sack and he throws the ball to Cohen and Cohen has to figure out what to do with it. And he could get six yards positive from where he got the ball, but he's only one yard past the line of scrimmage because he caught the ball so far behind it. You know, he was put in horrible situations last year. I expect that to get better because like I said, last year was an outlier in his low efficiency levels. So you can expect it to come back to average or close to it. He's a dynamic guy. He can be used in many ways. He's probably in my opinion the second or third best weapon on that offense. Obviously, your go-to guy is Allen Robinson. But after that, your number 2 is either Anthony Miller or it's Tariq Cohen. It's one of those two guys. It's not David Montgomery. Trust me, it's it's not David Montgomery. He is not near the type of weapon that Tariq Cohen is. So, I would say that your go-to guys in that offense, in order, are Allen Robinson and then tied at two, Anthony Miller and Tariq Cohen. So he's a guy that you want on in your teams because, like I said, he's never finished outside RB30. He's going at RB40. He's a reception guy, so he's safe. You know he's safe because of that. And he is also a guy that can break off a good run for you know a lot of yardage and maybe a touchdown every once in a while so he's a guy that I really like taking super late another guy I like taking super late the guy right after him in ADP RB41 Matt Breda he's a better running back than Jordan Howard he is he's more efficient he's career average over five yards per carry he should also have the receiving role between him and Howard so that makes him already have an advantage in PPR leagues look I don't think he's gonna get the same amount of carries as Jordan Howard But I think with the less carries, he's still going to be more efficient. So it's going to help him catch up in terms of overall rush production. And he's going to have the receiving role. Not only does he have those two things going in his favor, his efficiency and his receiving, but if he has those two things over Jordan Howard, who are they going to use in the red zone? They're probably going to use the guy who's a threat in both facets of the game running and receiving so Breda is probably going to be the guy that they use more in the red zone than Jordan Howard maybe if they're on like the goal line they'll use Jordan Howard maybe Jordan Howard gets those one yard two yard runs at the goal line but overall in the red zone I think because teams let's face it aren't at the one yard line two yard line three yard line that often so Breda is probably the guy that they want to use when they're in the red zone more often than not so he has decent upside already because of the receiving the efficiency and he also could take over the main ball carrier duties because like I said he's more efficient I think he's going to be doing more per touch or per rush attempt than Jordan Howard if Miami realizes this and they're doing good or whatnot and they just want to commit to to Matt Breda if they do that he's going to be a great running back he'll easily be a top 24 running back or a top 25 that's like the same thing but he he's easily going to be uh, RB2 if they commit to him and he gets more carries than Jordan Howard on top of having the receiving role. So he's another guy that I really like to take a shot on. And remember, these are all guys outside the top 36. They're not guys that are costing you pretty much anything. And what do we like to do when we're drafting late? What's the winning strategy drafting late in fantasy? Keeping Keeping in mind, this is important, keeping in mind that you usually after round about eight or nine i would say usually outside of round eight or nine from your drafts only about 30 percent of the people you draft past that point are on your roster like after a couple of weeks because usually you're picking up people's people off the waivers and most of your guys pass round eight or nine or misses so what do you do with those picks you got to shoot for upside you're not taking the safe guys that are barely ever going to make it into your lineup you don't take the guys that have uh floor of like eight points a game, but a ceiling of like 10 points a game. You don't want those kind of guys. You want the guys with ceiling. So Breda and Cohen both have decent ceilings. Then the third guy I want to talk about, he has the best ceiling of everyone that we're going to talk about today. My third fly guy, Latavius Murray. He's RB 44 off the board. When did that happen? Did everyone just forget about him? Because last year and the year before that, He was like the RB 28, 29 off the board, and he was in the exact same type of situation. At least last year, for sure, I know, because he was about the RB 30 off the board last year, and he was in the same situation he is now with Alvin Kamara. And nothing has changed. If anything, their offense is going to be better because they got Emmanuel Sanders, Andrew Brees is healthy, hopefully healthy, healthy for the whole season. And now he's 44. It makes no sense to me. Why would he not be valued at the same level he didn't show us anything bad if anything he should be valued higher he was the rb1 last year when kamara was out when kamara got hurt latavius murray was the best running back in fantasy football he still has okay flex value when Kamara's is healthy not like kareem hunt and i kind of talked about this earlier on last um the last episode but kareem hunt has like elite elite flex like as a, a late running back, he has elite flex value. I wouldn't say Latavius Murray is that great, but he is still like a bottom shelf flex guy that you can play in a pinch if you need him while Camara is healthy. But then if Camara goes out, he's a top five running back locked and loaded. He's got the receiving. He takes a, a big workload and a good offense that always produces fantasy points to the running back position. He has league winning upside. So he's the perfect late round running back target perfect and he's not at the level where so we were talking about Breda and Cohen Cohen is definitely not a guy you should be dropping but if Jordan Howard just ends up taking the the bulk of carries and Breda's not taking you know as much carries as I'm projecting which is about like I have him and Howard at like a 60-40 split but if Breda's at like a 70-30 split or whatnot some people might think about dropping Breda because he doesn't he might not offer you as much value as you want or you could find on the waiver. Latavius Murray is always gonna give you value, so you're not gonna be dropping him. So he's a guy that's good to take as a late round guy because of the value and also because of the huge upside. Then this is the guy I really have been waiting to talk about. This is the guy I really, really love taking. He's my RB4 or not my RB49, he's ADP running back 49, Antonio Gibson. This dude is basically a wide receiver playing running back. He's a good runner, though. He don't just don't hear what I'm not saying. I'm not saying he's just a wide receiver. He's just a receiving back. By no means is that the case. He's a very good runner as well. He's got a mean cutback. He makes people miss all the time. He's got great hands. He stays on his feet through contact so many times. If you just type his name in and just watch, I mean, he may not be playing the best competition since he's at memphis but many many a time he gets tackled by one or two guys and stays on his feet and keeps on going or just you know spins through the contact or whatnot and he keeps going he's got decent speed too and get this he's got a really good build remember i said he's like a wide receiver playing running back but usually what's the first thing that comes to your mind when you hear a running back that's like a wide receiver you think of a scat back you think of a small shifty fast guy that is not the build that antonio gibson is working with he's six foot 230 six foot 230 and he is like a wide receiver that is an amazing build he can take a big workload i'm projecting him to be able to handle a big workload in the NFL, although I'm not projecting him to take one right away, especially not with how crowded that Redskins backfield is. But here's the thing, if that's what's been going through your mind so far, the fact that they have Antonio Gibson, Darius Geis, Adrian Peterson, Peyton Barber, J.D. McKissick, Bryce Love. There's a lot of names there. I got you. I understand. But here's the thing. None of those guys, except for Antonio Gibson, are receiving running backs. So Gibson's already locked in in that role. We already know and can be 100% confident in a role that he will have, and that's the receiving role. It's the the Chris Thompson role. Okay, last year, Antonio Gibson had eight receiving touchdowns for Memphis. And if you look at the Chris Thompson role over the past – and it's tough. I had to basically take up 16-game average over the last five years – For Chris Thompson because Chris Thompson usually plays like on average 11 games a season so it's tough to just like you know take one or two seasons so I just took the last five years so just try and think about the situation that you know that the Redskins have been in over the last five years they were only a competitive team maybe one of those years uh, and it was one of the years with Kirk Cousins and then last year obviously they are in a horrible situation whatnot but the average If he played 16 games in any year, just over the last five years, Chris Thompson averaged 55 receptions and almost 10 points per game in fantasy. Gibson is going to hit that easily. And here's the thing. Chris Thompson's his role, he usually only took 45 carries. Like on a 16-game pace, not over his actual, what he actually did. He was always under that. But if he played 16 games, if he was always healthy, he was only on pace for about 45 Rushing attempts a season. Antonio Gibson, like I said, he's a good runner too. He's a guy that could easily, easily take like 80 to 120 rush attempts. I know that they have Geiss and Peterson. That's why I'm only capping it at between like 80 and 120 because of the fact that he's not going to be the main running guy there. But he's a great guy in Dynasty. He's a good guy in Redraft. He's a guy that I'm taking everywhere. Don't forget about this dude. Trust me, he's going to become a fantasy-relevant guy just based off the receiving alone. Because Chris Thompson was a guy, whenever he was healthy, that you could plug into your lineup, into your flex play, and be happy. He would go between, like I said, he averaged about 10 points per game, but certain seasons he was higher than that. He was around 12 to 14 points per game, and he would have game highs of like 25, 20, 19, and and then his lows would be like 6-7 because he was always getting a good amount of receiving. So Antonio Gibson is going to be Chris Thompson plus more rush attempts in my mind. And he could also see more receiving work because remember what Ron Rivera said. He said he could see Antonio Gibson playing that CMC role. Obviously, I'm not saying I think he's CMC by any means. But what I am saying is that Christian McCaffrey, his utilization in the receiving game, More than 100-plus targets every year. I think every year. I actually don't know if he had more than 100 his rookie year, but I believe he did. More than 100-plus targets every year. Antonio Gibson, if he gets... Because off the 55 receptions, Chris Thompson was averaging about 70-ish targets because he had a really good catch rate. So Gibson could easily get more than 70 targets. He could be in that 90, 95 targets. And here's the kicker. Who just got hurt? Kelvin Harmon. Kelvin Harmon tore his ACL. Now he's out for the season. Who are your mainstays in that offense? It's Terry McLaurin, Steven Sims, and that's it. Everybody else is pretty much new. And so Antonio Gandy-Golden, yes, I think he benefits a lot from the Calvin Harmon injury. But any time that targets are opened up on a offense, usually a decent amount of those targets will go to the running back position. It's the easiest position to scheme back in. And, you know, it's easier for running backs to get acclimated than um, wide receivers and everything just because of the routes that they run so the fact that kelvin Harmon got hurt could also push more receiving work to the running back position which only helps antonio gibson more so that's my case for antonio gibson i actually am going to check right now for you what running back he is for me in my rankings right now he is my running back i know he's really high i have him higher than than most people would be okay with he's my rb 31 and he's going at RB 49. So he's a guy that I'm always taking at the back end of drafts. Another guy I'm taking, my fifth fly guy. So we're you know we're on our way. We're moving quick. My fifth guy, Duke Johnson. He is my RB 52. Let me ask you this. Who is the most likely, if you had to bet, okay? And if you're not a betting guy, just imagine the situation. I'm actually not a betting guy either. Um, but if you had to bet... On one starting running back in the NFL to get injured, who would you bet on? I'm sure these are the names that come to your mind. David Johnson, that's the correct answer. (laughs) Um, Todd Gurley, Leonard Fournette, James Conner, you know, those guys. Well, David Johnson has played the least games out of all of them over the last two or three seasons. And he's not necessarily like... He's not a guy that I'm counting on being healthy. Like Gurley, I'm more comfortable with because Gurley actually played 15 games last year. Fournette, yeah, he misses games, but when he misses games, it's not like missing half a season or missing a whole season. It's missing three, four games and he's still healthy. So David Johnson is the guy that I think is the most likely to get injured at all and also the most likely to miss an extended period of time. I'm talking six, eight, 10 games. And obviously, I'm not betting on this, but we're talking about the the super, super late running backs you're taking shots on. So my vote goes to Duke Johnson as one of my fly guys, because he's already going to be involved somewhat in the receiving game, and he's going to be getting likely an okay amount of carries. Plus, the Texans, they lost DeAndre Hopkins. They lost 150 targets in that offense. So the running backs are probably going to get utilized more in the receiving game than they have ever before with Deshaun Watson. So I think that, yes, David Johnson is going to get a good workload. I have him around 50 receptions, if you guys remember me talking about him on the last episode. But that doesn't mean that Duke can't be in that 30 reception range, that 25 reception range with David Johnson healthy the whole time. And guess what? If David Johnson goes down, who is Duke Johnson competing with? I know my super deep guys will hit me with, you know, some rookies and whatnot, some you know the running backs that are on that depth chart that have a chance but if we're talking about established guys there's nobody there it's just duke johnson and none of the guys behind him have any high draft capital or equity invested in them either so that tells me that duke johnson is going to get a huge bump in work if Dave johnson goes down there's no lamar miller there's no carlos hyde there's no even alfred blue like all of those guys are gone there's no oh man what was his name? Oh, no, no, no. De- Deonta Foreman. He's not there either. So all those guys are gone. So yes, they might bring in somebody. They could, but let me ask you this. Do you honestly think that the guy that they would bring in if David Johnson got hurt is going to pick up all of David Johnson's work? All of it? I highly doubt that. Let's say, hypothetical situation, David Johnson gets hurt week three, and they bring in Devonta Freeman. Devonta Freeman. Is Devonta Freeman going to take all of David Johnson's carries and receiving work? I highly, highly doubt that. I highly doubt that. So Duke Johnson, regardless, even if they bring in somebody with an injury to David Johnson, he's still going to have more value after that injury. And honestly, he is a guy that if you're in deep leagues, like you're starting you know, three receivers and you have two flexes and two running backs or something— He's somebody that you can put in the flex and be all right with. You could be okay with him. So those are the things in terms of upside. He can have really good upside, or he does have really good upside if David Johnson goes down. And he's also going to be, you know, a guy that could give you a safe like six, seven points if you're in really deep leagues. That's not something that I, I'm shooting for. or I'm happy with in regular leagues where you're just starting two running backs, two wide receivers and a flex but in deeper leagues or like 14 teamers or anything, you know, bigger than that, then Duke Johnson is also somebody that holds value as somebody that will be in your starting lineup. Here are his past career finishes in PPR, Duke Johnson. Rookie year, 23, then 31, then 11, then 37, and last year, 29. He is ADP RB 52 right now. He has never finished worse than 37 He is being drafted 15 spots later than he's ever been, or than he's ever finished. And he has good upside. He would easily be an RB 2 with David Johnson going hurt or getting, (laughs) getting hurt. And then that brings me to my last fly guy. My last fly guy is Damian Harris. He is RB 55 off the board right now. And honestly, I'm not banging the table for this guy, but because of how late he is, and the opportunity that is presented to him this year, he could be a really good value and he's worth taking a shot on throwing a dart at in the late rounds. He could win the running back job for New England because Sonny Michelle's dealing with his foot injury right now. Also, Sonny Michel just looked horrible last year and Damian Harris was a third round pick. Plus, plus that was right after Sonny Michel's amazing rookie season where he carried them in the playoffs and they still still after sony was looking great decided to invest a third round pick in damian harris and now all of a sudden sony looks way worse than he looked that rookie year so maybe they're looking at damian harris and he's looking a little bit better now and they're like this guy could be our starting running back for sure especially with sony michelle dealing with his foot injury and let's not act like damian harris is just some nobody he was a third round pick for a reason he's a talented guy from Alabama. He produced well there. He was in a crowded backfield there, so it was hard for him to really ever take a huge workload and show out. But he has a good opportunity, and that's what you look for in the later rounds. You're you're doing one of two things. You're either trying to find the the Alvin Kamara type of running back, the guy that is uber talented, oozing with talent that you love that just doesn't seem like he has a pathway to starting or so you're either looking at that guy or you're looking at the guy that has an opportunity to start you don't want anything else you're looking for the super uber talented guys that could somehow work their way into the lineup which is what Kamara did because remember they had Adrian Peterson and Mark Ingram there so it seemed like Kamara was going to get no work but just because of how good he is he worked his way into the lineup It basically got Adrian Peterson traded to the Cardinals that year and um. Yeah, so that's one type of guy. And then the other guy is just somebody that you want to find that has an opportunity. Because whether it's, you know, the guy in front of them is injured a lot, or whatever the case may be, they're in a, um, a running back by committee, whatever the case, that's what Damien Harris is in. And so he has a good opportunity as well. He's a good guy to take a flyer on. So now, that is my six fly guys. Remember, we talked about Tariq Cohen, Matt Breda, Latavius Murray, Antonio Gibson. Duke Johnson, and Damian Harris. Now I'm I just going to give you guys a quick overlook on my strategy at drafting running backs this year, and then we'll finish off the podcast. I am going running back heavy at the top. There is no way you're not going to see me do this. There's no way. Because if I'm drafting at the top of the draft, in the top four picks, I'm getting McCaffrey, Zeke, Barkley or Kamara I'm getting one of those guys if I'm at five that see that would suck I hate the five spot five spot I'll probably take Michael Thomas if Dalvin Cook signs I'll probably take Dalvin Cook there then after Michael Thomas he's the only wide receiver he's the only guy that I'm considering basically in the first round like I'm not joking when I tell you that the only non-running back I would draft in the first round is Michael Thomas it's it's just how it is for me because of how I see value throughout the drafts this year where everyone is at. So here's the thing. If I'm, let's say Michael Thomas is off the board. This is my like most hated spot to pick, by the way, the six, seven, because if seven is the worst, because if you're at seven, the big five running backs, the fifth one being Dalvin Cook are off the board and Michael Thomas is off the board. And now you're at seven and you have to decide against my ranking because Technically, my ranking would tell me to take Derrick Henry. I'm not going to do that because of the receiving stuff, the lack of receiving, I should say. So I usually actually just reach for my next guy. I know it's a reach, but it's a guy I believe in, and he has huge potential, Miles Sanders. Or I would take, if it's not Miles Sanders, maybe a Joe Mixon. And there's basically all the way to the end of the first round, I'm taking running backs. Eckler, I'll take before any of the wide receivers drake i'll take before the wide receivers jacobs um, like i said already mixon sanders all those guys i'm taking all the way to the back of the first round and then at the top of the second too because people are obviously taking wide receivers i'm just glad that they're doing that because i'm not going to do that because if you take julio jones and Devonte adams at the turn guess what you're left with at the running back position you're left with that old vet injury risk tier that Le'Veon bell david johnson chris carson james connor look those are good names but those aren't the names that i want as my rb1 or my rb2 you want your rb1 and 2 to be locked in you don't want to have to worry about that the entire season you want that spot you want to look at that spot be confident be like oh yeah i got you bro you're not beating me in this matchup like i have you covered on running backs that's how you win fantasy football running backs are the premium plus The running backs later on in drafts, from like that 4-5 range to 4-5 or round range to the 7th, 8th round, the running backs there are way worse than the wide receivers there. Because when you start at round 4, you're talking wide receivers like Calvin Ridley, Robert Woods, DK Metcalf, Tyler Lockett, DJ Chark, Devontae Parker, Odell Beckham, like, there are so many, Terry McLaurin, so many wide receivers in that area. And guess what? You can Tyler Boyd. Oh, don't even get me started, but that's not like the 4-5 round. That's like the 7th round range. But Tyler Boyd, who I love. You guys know I love him. Even Juju Smith-Schuster sometimes might slip into the 4th. You have so many good guys in that area. And you're basically screwing yourself, in my opinion, if you go wide receiver heavy at the, you know, 1-2 turn or what, what not, whatever the case may be. If you get wide receivers at the top, you're forced grabbing guys like David Montgomery. Ugh. Gross. Um just trying to think of, you know, the running backs in that area. It's actually kind of hard because I usually don't take the running backs in that area. David Montgomery, Devin Singletary is another one. Kareem Hunt is probably the only good one that I like there. In that in that range between like four and seven. Um, yeah, there's just like Raheem Mostert, there's a lot of questions. It's just guys there are not guys that I want at all. Like, they're not guys Mark Ingram that I trust. So why would you not just lock in your running back spots and grab the great wide receivers that are there later? That's basically what I'm doing. So overall, I know, like, I'm kind of dragging this out a little bit, so I'm going to wrap it up. Overall, me, after my first four rounds, I always have three running backs. Pretty much Always. I always get a running back in the first round. There's no doubt about it unless I get Michael Thomas. But if I get Michael Thomas in the first round, guess what? Second round, third round, fourth round, I'm going running back. Usually I don't get Michael Thomas though. So I have a running back in the first round, second round, running back. Third round, that's where I might pivot. If a DJ Moore is there, my wide receiver five, or if George Kittle or Travis Kelsey are there, or if I'm at the back of the third and Lamar Jackson is there. If any of those guys are there, I'll pivot from running back. But then in that case, fourth round, I'm taking my third running back, who's usually a Le'Veon Bell or a Melvin Gordon or a Chris Carson. Those are usually the guys I like to take or an Aaron Jones, but Aaron Jones is not ever going to be there in the fourth. So forget that I said Aaron Jones. But Le'Veon Bell, Melvin Gordon, and uh, Chris Carson are the guys that I like to take in the fourth round if I'm going running back. So usually after the first four rounds, I have three running backs. And then from rounds five, To about seven or eight, I slam my wide receivers. I grab four receivers in a row. I might snag a Rojo at like round six or seven, just throw him in there because I love Ronald Jones. And then I'll come back to running back later on and grab all of my fly guys that I just talked to you about because, like I said, the earliest one was Tariq Cohen at RB40. He's going at the highest, at the highest ninth round, eighth round actually, at the highest. So After I slam all my wide receivers, if I didn't get a tight end early, if I didn't get the Kittle or Kelsey in the third round, then obviously I'm going to take a tight end at like round eight or nine. And then I'm going to go get all these fly guys at the running back position. And that's how I basically am doing conducting my drafts this year. I'm going RB at the top. I always have, but this year I think is the best year to do so. Especially with all the question marks and camps and stuff, rookies are not going to emerge as quickly or as prominently as they do every year on waivers, because it's going to just take them longer to, you know, catch up and whatnot. So I don't think, like, if this was a normal offseason, I wouldn't be surprised if J.K. Dobbins was like, not that he's on the waiver, just an example, if J.K. Dobbins was a top 15 running back after week three on, or week four on. If that would happen, though, now, because of how everything is going I think that it would take to like week eight or nine for that to happen. So it's going to be harder to find because most of the time running backs that show up on waivers that end up being like league winners and whatnot, usually they're rookies or they're from like a huge injury. Obviously, the injury can happen, but injuries are going to be all over the place too this year with COVID. So we don't know exactly what's going on there. Why not just be safe at the running back position? There's only 32 starting running backs in the NFL. There is, depending on if you're two wide receiver or three wide receiver, Between 64 and, trying to do quick math, 96 starting wide receivers in the NFL. So, and usually you're starting two running backs, two wide receivers. So, yeah, get your running backs high. That's basically it, plain and simple. This is Deep Dive Fantasy Football. Thanks for listening. If you enjoy the show, leave a rating or review. It doesn't take long, but it helps me out immensely. Have a good one, guys. Peace.